When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 81 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and today it's incredibly special to have with me Taraji P. Henson one of the most talented and popular actresses working today. The 45-year-old first crossed most people's radar back in 2005 when she starred as Suge, a mousy prostitute who finds her voice in Craig Brewer's Hustle and Flow. She then made a similar impression in an even bigger movie, David Fincher's The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, in which she played the caretaker of a reverse-aging Brad Pitt and received an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress. But her biggest role by far has been that of Cookie Lyon, the matriarch of a complicated music industry family in Lee Daniels' Empire, one of the highest-rated shows on television, for which she's received a Best Actress in a Drama Series Golden Globe Award and now back-to-back Emmy nominations as well. Over the course of our conversation, Henson looks back at the remarkable arc of her life. From humble beginnings in Washington, D.C., she went off to Howard University to study drama. During her junior year, she became pregnant. And though the baby's father did not remain in the picture, she remained committed to both the child and her career, working multiple jobs and ultimately moving to Los Angeles by herself in order to give both their best shot. It was in Los Angeles that she first caught the eye of John Singleton, who became a champion and mentor over the course of her career, which she juggled with substitute teaching and other jobs for many years. Even when she became an Oscar nominee, things did not change overnight. In fact, the phone barely rang. It was only once she heard from Daniels, who had years earlier sought her for a part in Precious, that she found a project in Empire that set her on the path to stardom for good. We're going to be hearing a lot from Henson throughout the rest of 2016. She'll attend the Emmys in September. In October, her memoir, Around the Way Girl, will hit bookstores. And in December, she will play the main character in one of the most anticipated films of the Oscar season, Ted Melfi's Hidden Figures, which hits theaters on Christmas Day. This is one of the most powerful and inspirational conversations we've featured on this podcast with a terrific actress who's constantly getting better. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's go to it. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Raji, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate Yay, it. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. To begin with, just before we get down to serious business, I've got to ask you, it's such a beautiful name. What's the backstory? Oh, I'm a 70s kid. And mm-hmm. you know, back in the 70s, it was very black pride, mm-hmm. power to the people. And my dad was very much that and wore dashikis and jean, fly jean. He dressed like Shaft. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was very Afrocentric back then. And he decided to give me an African name and it's Swahili. Mm-hmm. So Taraji means hope, Penda means love. That's my middle name. And the middle initial, you know, we're used to it with the guys, Michael B. Jordan, Samuel L. Jackson, but for you, it was important to keep it in there? Yeah, because everybody kept saying, you should just go by Taraji. I was like, but my name means so much. Like, I said, Taraji means hope in Swahili. Penda means love in Swahili. And Henson, I'm related to Matthew Henson, who co-discovered the North Pole. Wow. So, my name is very important yeah. to me. <laughs> so now, where were you born and raised, and, and what did your folks do for a living? I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. My mother migrated from the South, North Carolina, with all her siblings, basically. And she started at a old, well, it's defunct now, but it was Woodward and Lothrop. Okay. And she started in the basement. She put price tags on merchandise, and she worked her way up the corporate ladder until she got her own office. Wow. and. She was a manager and had employees under her. And then my father was a metal fabricator. He was a private contractor. And then the Reagan era, they remember that. Yeah, if you you didn't have a government job, you literally lost your job. But, you know, smart that he was talented because he could put bars on windows and he had a little side hustle. But there was a point where he became homeless Mm -hmm. during the Reagan administration. But I watched him work his way back up. So I come from a family of hard workers. So I'm never allergic to hard work yeah in terms of the roots of your interest in a career in show business mm-hmm. or whatever I, I tried to read a lot of your past interviews and profiles to prepare for this and one of the things that I came across was when times were tough with your mom you were actually there as sort of the pick-me-up saying you know just give it a little time I'm gonna be there right <laughs> yeah yes I would always tell her you know when I saw her stressing over bills that and she brought this up to me that I would come over to her and be like, Mom, don't cry. I'm going to be really rich one day. <laughs> and even in my high school senior picture, you know, they had three captions under your photo. And it was your favorite saying, your nickname, and where did you see yourself in the future? And mine was to be famous. <laughs> and this was after I was declined entry to a high school of fine arts. This is when I still didn't know what I was going to do with my future, but my spirit was telling me I was going to be famous. I didn't know. (laughs) At that point, I didn't think I could act because I didn't get into my school, you know? So that was a big moment in your life. But after that, for a little while, you went in a very different direction, right? (laughs) (laughs) Electrical engineering. I don't even know why I chose that. I am so not wired. I still count on my fingers. I'm not ashamed to say it. (laughs) Don't judge me. Look. I know I wasn't meant to be a mathematician. That semester (laughs) proved my theory right. (laughs) I failed pre-calculus. That's the class that sets you up for all the math to come. (laughs) Yeah, well, clearly I wasn't supposed to do that. And I called my dad crying, and he was like, that's what you get. You needed to fall on your face. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. Go back up here and enroll at Howard and get into acting. You know that's what you're supposed to be doing. But it took me 
that detour in my life to be as serious as I am about it. Like I do not take this craft for granted. I went, when I made up my mind to go study the craft of acting, that's all I did. People come to me all the time. You went to Howard, did you know so-and-so? Let me tell you my first Howard homecoming. This is after my success. They called me back. Mm-hmm. What is it when you're well, the like, maitre d', the yeah, whatever like of the, the queen parade or whatever, homecoming queen right, or something, yeah. of homecoming? They yeah. wanted me to do that. That yeah. was my first time going to a Howard homecoming. Really? I stayed in the theater department the entire time I was there. And you did see a number of people come through and go on to success, right? So yeah. it was a model for you in a sense. And they would always come back and reach back and talk to us. Ozzie Davis and Ruby D, mm-hmm. Felicia Rashad and Debbie Allen, Lynn Whitfield. I mean, they always came back and giving us hope, you know, showing us that, oh, you can train here and go off and make a living. Like if we didn't have those examples, who's to say I would have ever made it to Hollywood? Right. You know, because it was easy to go to New York and stick to theater. But not to say that theater is a small way of thinking, but, you know, I'm a single mother now at this point in my life. And theater checks ain't going to cut it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's let's talk about that because I think, so it's junior year, you find out you're pregnant. Yes. For a lot of people, particularly ambitious people, that could have thrown them for a loop. Like, now I have to go and do a practical, a more practical profession than, you know, acting's a long shot. Why did why do you think that you were able to still persevere through that? I never saw my family, my parents ever fall and not get up. All obstacles were, were stacked up against them and they still made it. So I didn't have examples of failure, even failure. My dad being homeless and him telling me every day, I'm going to get this back. I'm going to get this back. And I watched him do it. So fear is not in my vocabulary. And that's because of the people who raised me, you know. I just, I don't scare easy. <laughs> I didn't, it's all in how you look at things too. It's all your perception because I didn't look at it as something wrong. Right. You know, women are supposed to have babies. <laughs> That's what we do. We, we procreate. Right. You know, I was very in love with his father. There was no mistake. Right. My child was made out of love. I consciously made a decision, both of us, to that it wouldn't be good for us to be together, just like if we had gotten married. It's the same thing when you come to a mutual agreement that, you know what, maybe we're better. Uh, so I knew exactly what I was doing. And I looked at it as, wow, this will keep me focused. I couldn't imagine going to Hollywood without my son. Well, let's talk about this move, because basically you graduate, you have your baby, you have mm-hmm. a lot of student debt. You don't have a specific job offer. No. So how do you... I didn't even have a manager or agent. I had nothing. So so making the move to L.A., just how did that even work? And then when you got out to L.A., what sort of a life was it? The way I looked at it is, okay, let me just go out here and set up camp. Let me just plant my feet, get plant some roots, you know, plant the seeds, yeah. and then build from there. I'm a survivor, so I know how to get a job. I know how to pay the bills. You know, I didn't grow up getting evicted. I didn't grow up with the lights not on. I didn't grow up. There was not one time the phone wasn't on, the lights weren't on, and there wasn't a hot meal on the table. Like, I don't care if my mom lived from check to check. There were the bare necessities that she gave me, and it was to the point where I didn't even realize how bad she was doing because I had Holly Hobby everything in my bedroom (laughs) and all the toys I ever wanted. You know, I just didn't see the struggle, but I saw her work hard. And so that's in me. And I knew that all I had to do when my father asked me, how do you expect to catch fish on dry land? Here you are with a degree in acting and you're in D.C. There are no acting jobs here. You need to go to L.A. That's where the jobs are. Just like I worked my way up 
in Howard University mm-hmm. in the eyes of all the people who meant anything to theater and they started trusting me, like seeing my talent. I said, I did it at Howard. You know, they're still talking about the plays I did at mm-hmm. Howard. I said, if I have, if I go to Hollywood with that same mindset, I'm going to make it. And that's just what I did. Now, but when you got out here, though, under those circumstances, it, it's got to have been a tough transition, at least at first, right? I mean, I've read that you were, like a lot of actors that are trying to make it, you were doing a lot of other jobs, too, mm-hmm. right? Receptionist, um, teacher. Receptionist, and then after a while, I started working. So I did the reception thing for like a year and a half, and I was very depressed. I cried a lot because I was like, I'm going backwards. Mm-hmm. This is how I put myself through college. So I snatched my son up, and I moved 3,000 miles away to go backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, See, when you change your perception, your life changes. I mean, I can't tell you how simple that it sounds so simple, but it really, really works. I hated my job, but until I changed my attitude and learned how to be happy where I was, I wasn't going to grow. If you're not happy where you are, you're not going to be happy where you're going. You're just a person that's never satisfied. So I literally changed my perception about where I was. And I said, you know what? This is a part of me growing into who I'm going to be in this industry. My father would always say to me, see yourself on the other side of it. Everything you're doing right now, you're just going through the motions because you're already over there. (laughs) You're already the greatest actress alive. I grew up hearing this. My father planted those seeds in me. So how was I not to succeed? (laughs) I started dressing myself up, being appreciative of this job I had. I was able to pay for my son's you know, school Mm -hmm. and this and that and the third. So be happy. And soon as I did that, I met my manager and then I started booking gigs. And then there was a point where, you know, I wasn't working. So I was like, I can't go back to reception. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, well, you have this BFA. No one in the industry seems to care about it. How can (laughs) I use it? Substitute teaching. The money was good Mm -hmm. and I was able to play. Then it was able for me to get a little wiggle room. Then I think I booked like baby boy or something. And so then that was it for the, you know, substitute teaching. I had to make candles one year. (laughs) I did a lot of things. I can make it happen. I know how to pay the bills. No, clearly. (laughs) So to set the scene for Baby Boy, your first movie, which was a John Singleton movie, you were just going to an acting class and timing was right or something? Was that... No, 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 no. That's not how it happened. Okay. I was taking a Bill Duke acting boot camp. Mm-hmm. And yeah. all of his list of Hollywood directors, he had come in and talked to us and actors. Denzel was one. John Singleton yeah. happened to come in. And I just remember, he remembers the non-encounter we had. <laughs> but I just saw everybody in the class running up to him. And I was like... I'll see him and he'll remember my talent. Like, I'm not right. going to go over there no. and like, tell, what are we talking about? <laughs> right, like, right. you know, I'm a fan. Yeah. But he, who needs another fan? Right. <laughs> and he remembered that. He was like, I remember you. You were the one that didn't come over to me. <laughs> and it wasn't even like I was trying to accomplish anything. Right. I was just like, I'm not going to waste his time by blowing more smoke. I right, mean, he's incredible. Right, right, yeah, we right. all know. <laughs> and so then baby boy, the audition comes along and I go in And I go in for the casting director, Kim Harden. And she was like, wow, you're really good. I'm going to bring you back for John. And so I go in and I read for John. And he was like, wow, you're really natural. Where are you from? And we start talking. And he's like, I remember you. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, Bill Duke class. And I'm like, we didn't even speak. He said, I know. That's why I remember you. That's that's terrific. (laughs) Who knew that was working? It wasn't even like, oh, I have a plan. Right. Now you can just (laughs) ice queen everybody now. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So... But that's that's life, right? When you don't care about it, it comes yeah. to you. Isn't that crazy? That's great. That's every big job I ever got. Like Benjamin Button, remember that? I oh, was we're having coming a, to it. We're oh, coming right? to it. <laughs> so 
But that theory works. If you let it go, it comes back. But now, so you have this movie. It's you and Tyrese. The movie does mm-hmm. really well. Great reviews for yourself. And then three years of like kind of back to I, That's when I started making candles. Because I was like, now I can't go back but to. Like, how do you explain that? That's the business. That's the nature of the beast. I mean, you take the good with the bad. I never let it deter me. It's just, you know. You got to wait for your season. And I always had my father saying to me, your season is coming. Just don't worry about it. Just keep doing what you're doing. And because I'm such a creative person, like if I'm not on a, on a stage or doing something, I will shrivel up and die. I am that kind of artist. I have to be doing like Prince. I don't care if he's performing to five people, 20 people, 10, 10,000. He's always going to sound check 10 times. You're going to get the same performance if it's just 10 people in the room as opposed to me. That's how I am. Like I love the craft of acting and I have to do it. And so whenever I didn't work, I was on Santa Monica Boulevard somewhere in a 99 seat theater, not because I needed agents or just for me, for my soul. Right. When I left Person of Interest, the first thing I did was I went to do theater in Pasadena. Who expects anybody to come to Pasadena? <laughs> this is not a theater-oriented town. No, no, no. People don't go to the theater no. in California. They no. just really don't. And so I challenged myself because I found myself stagnant, and I really had a bad taste with television. And I just was like... I feel like I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm the type of artist that if I ever get in that headspace, it's time to retire because I'm not servicing the craft. I'm not servicing the audience, the fans, the character, the work. Get out. There's somebody else that would love to do this, right? (laughs) And so I was feeling like that, but then I'm too young and I haven't even really, I'm just scratching the surface. And so I was like, you know what? Let me go back to my roots. Let me go back to theater. Let me challenge. I need a good challenge right Mm -hmm. now. And I never starred above the title of any play. I was always great as chorus, Mm -hmm. you know? So that was a challenge. And then when I saw that audience fill up every night, are you talking people coming from Crenshaw, Watts, Hollywood? Who drives? <laughs> Who drives to Pasadena if you don't right. live close by for theater right. on a weekday? Yeah. The theater made all of their money back in the two preview nights. That's amazing. Everything else was extra. That's great. Yeah. So I'm the, I said all of that to say that that's how married I am to the craft. Totally. Like I have to, ooh, I have to do something. <laughs> so, so the way you kind of came out of that drier period was yeah. actually again, kind of comes back to John Singleton, right? Because when we talk about this part in Hustle and Flow, where mm-hmm. basically this was the first movie written or directed by Craig Brewer. Yeah. This was this case where Terrence Howard was pushing for Megan Good, I mm-hmm. think. You had two, <laughs> he was pushing for everybody but me. Right. You had only two movies under your belt, and mm-hmm. yet it came together. Why did it work out? I have no... That was God. Because let me tell you, I was on a television show. I was on The Division for Lifetime at the time. They were not letting me off. I was calling John like, oh my God, please, um, fly me and we could do it on the weekends. We can. And just so happened, as luck would have it, or God, I, mm-hmm. I say God, mm-hmm. the studio, the last studio that they went to didn't give them the money. So then it became an independent thing. Right. So they had to push when I was done with the show. <laughs> <laughs> and now, for whatever my opinion is worth, I think the moment where you kind of became a star was when we see Suge listening to herself for the first time, that scene. Can you take people back to that? Did you realize that was something special going on? Because, again, for people who need to catch up or they need a refresher, this is a pregnant prostitute Mm -hmm. who is 
not even aware that she's talented, and this is when she's hearing her own voice for the first time. Yeah, who's not even aware that she even has a voice. Right. Remember, she was the quiet little skittish mouse, Mousy, you know? Yeah. And for the first time, she literally heard her voice. And I'm not just saying singing, but the fact that she had power in her voice. Who knew? I didn't know. I mean, I read the script. I feel like that's a special moment, but you never know how the audience is going to receive it. And I don't watch myself during the process. I can only watch myself when it's the finished product, color corrected, music, everything with an unbiased audience. That's the only way I can watch myself. So you only saw that at the very end? The very, when we went to Sundance, that was my first time seeing it. This movie goes and takes off its song gets nominated for for an oscar you then are scheduled to go and sing with three six mafia who end up winning (laughs) they were sitting behind me and i turned around i said fellas just be glad we made it this far right you know this dolly Parton, they owe her right they owe her (laughs) so you know just be glad you're here right and they were like yeah it's just cool to be here you know we just happy right you know we're gonna go to the parties like no one saw it coming (laughs) and then when queen latifah said everybody knew it was like what now but for you though to even get up there and perform that night with them must have been a really tough thing because you had just also gone through a very tough personal thing right yeah i lost i just lost my dad three weeks before that performance And it was devastating because this is the man who told me my entire career, you're going to win an Oscar for something because Mm -hmm. you're good. You're the best. You're the greatest. I mean, this is all I heard all of my life. And here I am getting to the place. The point you said this, I didn't, who's, I never said I'm going to go to Hollywood and win an Oscar. That's not even how I think. Mm -hmm. I don't think awards. I just don't. I think work, 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 you know. And so here I am. I finally made it to the big show and he doesn't get to see. I mean, it was just, I had to compartmentalize my pain to get through it because I knew he wanted me to get through it. But it, that's why you always treat people with kindness because we all have a pain we're carrying and you just, you don't know, like person cut you off on the street, let them go. Forget all that road rage. You don't know what they just heard. You don't know somebody, they're not thinking. It's not about you, that cut off. You know, there's some cut offs where they do it and they give you the <laughs> finger and you blast his ass, but, <laughs> or not, because people are crazy. Right. But, you know, you know, sometimes give people the benefit of the doubt because through that those smiles, you don't know what tears lie behind the smiles. You know, it's just always good to be nice. We all know you've reunited with Terrence on Empire, which yeah. was 10 years after Hustle and Flow, but that reunion was supposed to happen a lot sooner, right? Was it? Well, wasn't what was talked to me about. Oh, yeah, he brought talk to me to me, and then I'm like, wait, what happened? Because <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of like fell out of it? Or I, I can't even remember. I think he something else came up. I can't remember. But that I was a big remember. one. You said that's one of your favorites, so it ended up being you and Don Cheadle. Yes, and who I've always wanted to work with. So that was like a, that was a win-win, whether yeah. it was Terrence or right, right. it was a win-win. And a, and a big movie. But then the place where you didn't even give yourself a chance of it happening was Benjamin Button, right? Because I think you had other plans that you were kind of annoyed that this was going to even interfere so with your plans. It was on a Saturday. I mean, like, don't you people go home? <laughs> It's Saturday. Right. You know, by this point, I'm seasoned. I know how the politics work Mm -hmm. in the industry. So I never take auditions really too seriously. It's like, okay, you're calling me in, but right now I know you have an offer out to this big name, this big name, and this big name. (laughs) No, if they all turn it down, then maybe you'll get to us, the ones that are on tape. You know? (laughs) So I don't take it, you know, I'm like, and by this point, I'm like, I'm doing well. I have my first house now. Mm-hmm. We're living good. Mm-hmm. So the struggle isn't as hard mm-hmm. anymore. So, you know, I'm not, I'm like, they're auditioning me. This is the third 
character on the call sheet. You got Brad Pitt. You got Kate Blanchett. They want Halle Berry. They don't want me. You know what I mean? So I'm going on about, I go, I do it, whatever. How you doing? Lorraine. And so when I go in to meet with Lorraine, she puts me on tape. I walk in and she's crying and I'm like, Okay, someone didn't take their medicine. <laughs> this is the casting director, Lorraine casting Mayfield. Casting director, Le- Lorraine Mayfield. She casts all of his films. Right. And she's like, oh my God, your talent. And I can't remember. Oh, it was Hustle and Flow. Unbeknownst to me, she'd seen Hustle and Flow. She had already called David Fincher and said, I found Queenie. <laughs> and who knew? Like who, years earlier. Yes. Who knew? So I come in and she's like in tears and she's like, oh my God, you're working. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so then I do, I read it or whatever. I'm, I already have talked to me, booked. I'm leaving in two weeks. Right. Girl, I don't care. Right. Whatever, y'all gonna go with Hallie, whatever. That's <laughs> that's literally how I was thinking. And right. the whole time I'm reading, I'm trying to think in my mind, is everything ready for the garage sale? Everything. <laughs> so I leave, I go home, I think nothing of it. I'm done, I'm ready for this garage sale. You don't understand, I turn my kickboxing bag into a man. Anakin. <laughs> you were, weren't messing around. I had wig heads and it, I mean, it was serious. This right. garage sale was going down. <laughs> and I get a call that night as I'm fixing all my little last little fixings, getting it perfect. Right. Champagne so I can get everybody drunk and take all my money. <laughs> and I get the call from my agent. Yeah, David Fincher wants to see you tomorrow. And I'm like, why? It's Saturday. I have a garage. I'm sorry. I'm not going. I think it was my manager called and was like, if you don't close that damn garage door, it gets you. <laughs> So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so who are the usual suspects I'm going to see on this great, fine Saturday? I'm like grumpy the whole time going there. I'm like (laughs) cursing the moon and the stars. So I get there and I see two cars on the lot and my car. And I'm like, I must be early. They must be spacing (laughs) us apart. I get in and it's so lackadaisical. It's just LeRae Mayfield and David Fincher in there, literally waiting for me. And so I go, hi. (laughs) And they're like, hey. LeRae's like, basically, I told him, you know, you can go with her or you can go through all of these. So here we are. And I'm like, <laughs> then I got serious. Right. Then it was very serious. Wow. And so then I'm reading with David Fincher. He said, I just want to see, you know, I don't have, it doesn't have to be like a full on thing. I just want to see, you know, how you grasp the material. So we do the first scene. And he's like, huh. Then I do the second scene. And he's like. Have you ever been in prosthetics before? <laughs> so in my mind, I'm thinking, is he telling me I got the job? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it went like that. And literally, Luray, I mean, he trusts her. He didn't even know who I was. He hadn't even seen Hustle and Flow. And she was telling me that, or was it him telling me that she came in and I thought she was nuts. Like, she put in your DVD and I, she started crying and <laughs> looking at her like, what the hell is wrong with you? Right. And he was like, she said, you'll see, you'll see. And then I watched it and I was like, wow, I see. You know? <laughs> That's so. the way to get the best way. <laughs> So in this part, you had to age from 26 to 71. Yeah. Which means you did spend a lot of time in the makeup chair. I did. Very early in the morning. Yes, like 3 o'clock in the morning. For, for like three hours or so? Yeah. And a lot of prosthetics and all that. But makeup can only do so much. And I know that you wanted to really figure out how do I talk and move and whatever in all these different ages. Was there a key to figuring that out? I looked at the women in my family. You know, my mother has five sisters. I have great aunts uh, that are still alive. I have my grandmother. So I had a woman in every age group to look at. And it was interesting because the family reunion fell on the the perfect time. It was right before I was getting ready to go into the uh, Benjamin Button and I was doing my research and I was like, whoa. And it was in the South. It was at my grandmother's house. Like, 
Timing is everything. Yeah. Like I couldn't have planned my life better. I really couldn't have. So I had them all to look at. And I was like, wow, the one thing I noticed, none of them talked about age or aging. They just did it. You know, they just did it. They just lived their lives. No one was in the mirror like, oh, I got a wrinkle and a green hair. <laughs> you know, they just gracefully aged. But then I think for me, it was more the physicality, you know, and I was like, well, what, what, what are her ailments? Like, where the breakdown, where is the breakdown mm -hmm. coming from for her? And then that's when I started to research. And, you know, she was a very physical woman. Yeah. I mean, she's helping elders, elderly people get dressed and lifting them up and, you know, bathing them. And so that's a lot of bending over, hunchback. Yeah, yeah. Where does the breakdown? I chose to make it in her elbow. You know, you get arthritis somewhere. So the older she got, that hand just kept shrinking you know you just write you write and write and write and you create you create and you write all this backstory and you just commit to it right <laughs> well so now comes time to do the movie you're in a movie with brad pitt yeah but you're his mother and most of the scenes aren't actually with brad pitt even though right. that's the way it comes out looking right right how did it look actually work they hired actors of various sizes, three different sizes, to represent him as aging process. And they literally had on a blue stocking cap, like, and you know, their little face just, right. and they had like little X's and O's all over their face and head. <laughs> and that's literally what I had to act with. And they were brilliant. Yeah. Like, they were really good. They gave me something. It wasn't just like bodies, they were <laughs> actors. And, you know, the first time I had a scene with, Brad was when he came back from the war. That was the first time wow. I was in an actual scene with Brad Pitt. Wow. Which so, was like maybe one or two scenes in the movie. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> so one would assume that an Oscar nomination, which you got for that performance, would lead to tons of new opportunities. But mm -hmm. I wasn't crazy enough to believe that, but go ahead. Okay, so now here's an interview from around that time, which I found just like mind-blowing. You said, quote, I can't wait to write my memoir someday, which you have now done, <laughs> coming out October 11th. <laughs> so I can't wait to write my memoir someday and talk about this moment in my life. My name is being bounced around the Oscars, Golden Globes, and all these awards. It's incredible. And I don't have a job. Nothing. <laughs> I remember <laughs> so, that. So, like, what happened? Well, I mean, you know, people believe this myth that once you've been nominated or you win an Oscar, that your career is going to somehow mysteriously change. Well, we know that... We can name a ton of actors, and you'll be like, they won an Oscar. Right, what? Right, what happened right. to them? What? I didn't see them since 1976. <laughs> you mean, you know, because I don't put a lot on awards, you know, because it can be political. You know, it's either your season and your time to right, shine or it's it not. Yeah. You know what I mean? So because we know the history of watching these awards, yeah. the best performance does not always win. Yeah. So I never put that on it. I never, I never even expected to be nominated. I don't put that kind of pressure on my work. I don't. Mm -hmm. I'm there to serve the character and somehow hopefully prayerfully change a life or mm -hmm. touch somebody mm -hmm. or something through my work. That's what I'm there for, not to win awards. That's not my business. If the industry feels like that was a great performance, I go along with it, right. but I'm never there to, with my speech, <laughs> I think. You know, that's why whenever I win, it's always like a, because I don't right. go thinking. I mean, that's hell of a talent that I'm always up it's against. It's good improvisation to be handing out cookies and stuff right here with. That was good. <laughs> At the Globes. I mean, they were there. Yeah, why not? So you were surprised to be nominated after this happens, though, when there's not a lot of offers, the, the one that did come that you went for, that you liked, was the first lead, basically, you'd had, right? Well, you talking about uh, the Tyler Perry? Yeah. Well, that's all who called. Yeah. I mean, you know, the myth is 
who you get nominated for an Oscar or you win an Oscar, all of these directors are gonna be calling you. Well, I didn't believe that either. It was crazy because it was a crazy, crazy, crazy Taraji Taraji's a superstar, <laughs> this and that, the other. And then as soon as the Oscars was over, I was in bed like, yeah, come to me, yeah. The phone isn't ringing. <laughs> What's happening? You know, it's like this high and then the low. Right. You know, and then I get a call from Tyler Perry, and he gave me a quote. I didn't have a quote until then. Yeah. He gave me a quote. He treated me like I should have been treated yeah. at the time. He tre rolled out the red carpet. I had my own trailer up until then. I never had my own trailer. I was always in a two-banger or a yeah. triple-banger, you know. And he, like open the doors to know this is how Taraji yep. P. Henson should be treated in the industry. And he set that up for me. And by the way, you delivered. This was an $8 million budget, and it opens at number one, mm -hmm. gross $51 million. We should say this is, I can do bad all by myself. So that happens. So this period between Benjamin Button and Empire, that happens. Taken from me, the Tiffany Rubin story, you get Karate any kid. nomination. I booked, oh, yeah. Who even saw that coming? <laughs> I was lying in bed, right. face down, sleep. <laughs> and my phone kept zzz, right. zzz. And I'm like, what the hell? Did somebody die? <laughs> so I look at it as Twitter. Like, right. what? And they're congratulating me. Congratulating me for what? <laughs> and they go, Emmy, Emmy for what? Then he remembered. <laughs> for life? Lifetime? <laughs> Who saw that right right somebody just has been paying attention to my work and just was like she deserves it yeah, this year yeah, yeah. you know i don't know no so <laughs> all these crazy. good things you mentioned cry kid they're all <laughs> happening but then the funniest thing because i didn't know about this until i was preparing you knew lee daniels way before empire yeah and the reason was why we hung out in new york before i auditioned for him or anything yeah, yeah. we hung out and lee is just one of those people that you can get along with, yeah. you know? And then he called me in for Precious, mm -hmm. but he was interested in me being the teacher. This is the Paula Patton eventually played. Yeah. And it wasn't like he offered the role to right, me. He right. called me in to read, but I wasn't interested. I mean, if you read the script, you know what the, the, the superstar character, the character, the meaty character. <laughs> and you know, I'm a, I'm a character actor. So I'm like with the right wardrobe, hair, makeup, that suit, whatever, I can do it all. Right. So you're wanting to play, <laughs> you want to be precious. precious. <laughs> Me and Gabba Ray Sidibay laugh about this to this day. She thinks I am nuts. And I was like, thank God I didn't get my way because the world would not have come to know you. That's she's true. an incredible woman and an amazing talent. So that didn't work out, but no, now it didn't work out. <laughs> after you just recently had left the CBS series Person of Interest, as you were talking about earlier, you now get the script for Empire, I guess, and you're in Japan or something? No, Lee was in Japan doing press for The Butler. Okay, okay. And I was on stage re right. resisting reading the script. Right, like, my right. manager kept saying, read the script. And I was like, no, I hate TV. Leave me alone. <laughs> I have a play to do. Right. And so I was happy on that stage, and I was getting literally $5. I know that's, that's insulting, but literally, no, com yeah. coming from what I was making yeah, on yeah, Primetime yeah. Network so Television, it was $5. Yeah. By the time I paid everybody and Uncle Sam, it's literally <laughs> lunch. So, <laughs> right. so I was happy, and he kept pressing me to read the script. And then I read it, and I was like, okay, it could work, but the only way it would work is if it's Terrence Howard. And then I got pissed because, you know, Fox, they were coming to the play, and they kept wooing me after the play. Come outside, let us talk to you. <laughs> so 
So finally, it was time to get serious about it. And then they said they had someone attached to it. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. How did this? You never said that. Yeah. So then at this point, I'm like, I don't have to do this show. Right. You know, because I really don't like TV anyway. Right, right. So again, it was one of those things that I, I wasn't attached to at all. Those right. are all the great jobs that I got in my career. I just didn't care. Yeah, yeah. So, that's... <laughs> so I literally Skyped with Lee. And he was like, Sal, what do you think? What do you think about the script? And I was like... <laughs> It's good, Lee, and I, I could see it working. Yeah. I could see it working. I said, but if you want me, I can't see myself doing it without Terrence. I said, because this script will not work if Cookie and Lucius don't work. And that's a very yeah. specific, specifically complicated, complex relationship. And I know I can play with Terrence. I just know we we can play with this. I know we can make this something. And I said, that's who I'm interested in doing. If you can't make that happen, then I'm not interested. Blink, close the computer. <laughs> it guidelines to learn. Come on, right, right. carrying this play. Next thing I know, Terrence is attached, and I'm going in to read with Terrence. Chemi- I said, chemistry read with Terrence? I yeah. mean, what do you yeah, need to see us to have on sex on the table? <laughs> like, Right, right. Chemistry? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so that comes together, and... Actually, I guess I'm just wondering, everybody today can say, Cookie, it's obvious this was a great character, but I think it's partly you, you've made it a great character. Did you Thank also, you. though, tap into it as in the sense that this is a mother who gave up a lot for her yeah. child, Absolutely. made a lot of sacrifices? You've said in interviews years ago, before you ever got a chance to do sort of comedic stuff, that, trust me, I'm better at comedy than drama. I have you all fooled, but whatever. <laughs> Dramatic actors, all right. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing. It's in the drama category at all these awards. But I know. You're the, the funny but stuff there. The thing about it is I grew up watching comedians. Red Fox, Flip Wilson, Richard Pryor, yeah. Carol Burnett, Lucille Ball. I was drawn to funny. And maybe it was because my where I was grew yeah. up. It wasn't the happiest place right. in the world. And that was my escapism. I would stand in front of the TV and rock. I have... Carol Burnett's box set, like <laughs> Lucille Ball's box set, right. Richard Pryor, every stand-up, con- you know, I still to this day watch back to back to back Red Fox on Saffron and Son <laughs> to this day. That's all I watch. Right. But what I started to notice is that they were able to transition into dramatic roles very easily. Yeah. And what I noticed is that they brought another dimension that dramatic actors don't because sometimes dramatic actors, they are just very serious. Everything is very weighted to right. this and that. But in life, we laugh and we cry, yeah. you know? And so the one thing that you could be laughing at two seconds later, you could be bawling your eyes out and be heard about it, you know? And that's life. And that's why I think dr- comedic actors do better at dramatic roles because they bring a sense of humor to something very serious. And that's what I've been able to do. And I think that's why people are drawn to my dramatic roles because in them, they are funny. And it wasn't until the Boston legal producers saw that I was funny. I was like, you mean to tell me I'm here because you see that I'm funny? Oh, there is a God. (laughs) So that was really the first time right before Empire, right? Right. So with Empire now, can you pinpoint why are people so obsessed with Cookie? Is it, I mean, is it the fashion? Is it the one-liners? Is it what she symbolically represents now? What is it to you that, that is the secret sauce here? I think it's a number of things, but I think the main thing that people are drawn to is that Cookie is unapologetic about her truth. She walks in it. She lives it. She breathes it. She doesn't apologize for her past. She doesn't make excuses. It is what it is when you're dealing with Cookie. And 
I just wish we lived in a world where people weren't afraid to be their true selves in, in public. You know, just be you. Mm-hmm. Don't give a hell about <laughs> what somebody else thinks. Right. Do you. Does that make you happy? Do you. People <laughs> going to judge you. Right. Whether you are bold enough to be yourself or not, you will be judged. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what humans do. And guess what? Can't no human judge me. You <laughs> poop and pull your pants up the same <laughs> like way. I, you know? Right, right. So I just think that... <laughs> That's why she's everybody's spirit animal, because how bold, how refreshing to see someone who's not afraid of where they come from. Look, I may have started there, but look at where I am now. Right, right. You know, a weaker woman would have crumbled. That's true. How the hell did this woman spend 17 years in the orange jumpsuit and then not break her? And it explains why she loves her nice clothes now. She had 17 years to brush up on fashion. <laughs> so what for you, has there been a favorite one-liner and do you get to improvise some of these at all? Oh yeah. The first time on television ever where I've been trusted, where they look for my input. Oh God, I've, that's why I hated television because I felt like it was so corporate. You have to, you mean I have to say this even if uh, if I say it like this, is better than that. Right, right. You have to say it. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a creative. Creativity yeah, should yeah. be free to be and ebb and flow. And and if you allow the actor to help, sometimes I might bring you something that you didn't see <laughs> in the words you wrote. Right. You know, and I think that's what we have on the set of Empire. It's a great pot of creative people, you know? All the producers are creative people. And so they we trust each other. They know I know Cookie. I live with Cookie every night. When they're writing for all the characters, I'm living with Cookie. Mm-hmm. So I know her and they know that and they trust me. Because guess what? When I ad lib, it works. I don't do it unless it's gonna enhance right, right. what's already there. You so know, because then line. it becomes a scene about ad libs. I guess Boo-Boo Kitty, because that was the first <laughs> ad-lib ever, and it really took off. Boo-Boo Kitty and girls walking around with this scalp smelling like goat ass, because <laughs> that's the voice of my father. <laughs> so how would you say the part of Cookie has changed your life and career, you know, so far? It's still happening, but what's what's been the biggest change? That, okay, let, I won't go to the negative. <laughs> I hate Cookie, that bitch stole my identity. Well, you know, I can't go anywhere without somebody calling me Cookie. That's, <laughs> But for me, what it proved that it, I just remember not understanding why I couldn't be in these big action films and these big films. Why were they telling me I can't? Well, black doesn't do well overseas. Black this, black that, black, black, black. And I'm like, I don't get it because I've traveled and people seem to love black culture everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what this myth is that black can't do. If music transits overseas, why can't my work? And so that's been the biggest triumph for me. The biggest win for me is when I went to Paris and it was like French people, all French speaking people. And they didn't know I was in the audience. It was a Q and A. First I saw it with Lee because they stood up. But you know, Lee's a director and he's been all over the globe with his movies. And so I didn't really get it until I stood up and it got to the cookie question. And Lee was like, well, why don't you ask her? Taraji P. Henson's now. The entire room stood up and they were like, whoa. And I stood there and I'm looking at all of these faces that aren't black, that don't even speak my language. And I cried because I was like, I've been lied to. I mean... I get goosebumps every time I tell this story because 
It's just like anything. How do you know Tide works if you don't go out and sell it? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. If the product is good, people will buy it. This is an all-black cast. What do you mean black don't do? I have more white people or other races walking <laughs> up to me saying, right. oh, my God, Cookie is my spirit. Right. They don't even see race. Right. They identify with the subject matter. They, I, Hey, let me tell you something. When I go see a movie, do you do this? Do you go, this weekend I'm going to see a white movie? <laughs> um, you know, this weekend I think I'm going to go see a black movie. No, I think this is a really good Chinese movie I want to see. You turn on your TV mm-hmm. or you're in another movie and you see a trailer and it moves you or it doesn't. I don't care what color the people are. Either I identify with the story or something about the story is interesting and I want to see it. That's art. It's colorless. People identify with these characters. They don't see color. No, I don't know. And, <laughs> I mean, and also how many other shows grew in their ratings in their first season every week, which was the case with you guys, which it's not only black audiences that are doing that, obviously, as you're saying, it was a... Appealing to everybody. Past Big Bang Theory, top-rated show on network. It was just all the stuff that, that t- goes to what you're saying. But my last question is this. Lee has said there might be a cookie spinoff in the future. I know another thing that's coming up probably a lot sooner than that is Hidden Figures, which <gasps> we're very excited about. Sorry. And I just want to ask you about, you know, give people a little tease about that because I, from talking with the the folks who I cover in this business, I know there's a lot of excitement about this. It's a movie coming out limited Christmas, I think, and then wider so. in what January. They, that's what we want because, you know, that's the whole Oscar. Uh-huh, right and right it now. should be. But, yeah. like, what is it and, and why are you excited about it? I am so excited about this film because who knew women were so instrumental in getting our men into space during the Cold War? Did you know that? I had Did you no know idea. that? Did you know? <laughs> and... So I get this script and come to find out there's all of these, not just black women, they're women computers. That's what they did. They did what IBM actually ended up coming in, building a computer that Mm -hmm. could do it twice as fast as humans. But they were human computers. Who knew that we even had human computers? (laughs) You know, so I'm always interested in in new pieces of, of history that hasn't been told yet and whoa what an amazing story to know that this woman and her calculations these women were very instrumental in getting our men to space before Mm -hmm. russia like again who cares about what color or gender or religion if we can just all pool together to stay focused on the goal America would be so much better off. <laughs> well, are you available to run for president this year? Uh, I don't N- want that the job. <laughs> they come out with a lot of gray hair. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.